and welcome to Silver Age Silver Screen, a podcast where we watch, discuss, and review sci-fi, cult, superhero, and other stereotypically geeky films. I'm your co-host, Casey Jarms. And I'm your other co-host, Riley Thorpe. Yeah, and today we, for the first time on the show, are doing a film that is a sequel to another film we've done. This is the second Tim Burton Batman movie that we're reviewing. We reviewed the first one back in our third episode, like, two months ago. Actually, three months. Jeez, that was back in September. Jeez, time flies. No, 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 no. 2020 isn't time flying. 2020 is time grinding to a halt, but there being so much horrible stuff in it that it feels, oh, time has passed because all these terrible things have happened, but no, it's only been like a day. Like, do you remember when we were about to go to war with Iran? That feels like a lifetime ago. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, this year. Well, let's go back to 1992. I don't actually know jack shit about 1992. Was it a good year? Was it a bad year? Who knows? But Batman Returns. Second Warner Brothers Batman movie. The last one directed by Tim Burton. Last one with Michael Keaton. Uh, This one also stars Danny DeVito as the Penguin. Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. And Christopher Walken as an original character named Max Shrek. He is the maximum Shrek. You cannot <laughs> underestimate his organness. You know, uh, before we start, the name Max Shrek. Max Shrek was a real person who was the actor who portrayed the character Nosferatu, which is technically the very first adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula, even though it was done without permission of his estate. And Bram Stoker's widow demanded that after the film come out, all copies of it be destroyed as it is a breach of copyright law. And one copy made it to America, and we have the classic film Nosferatu to this day. And actually, I just pushed my glasses up for physicality, even though this is an audio podcast. The character is named Count Orlock. The film's Nosferatu. No one cares. Also, it's a side note before we get in. Yeah. Do like, you obviously watched Spongebob as a kid because you're... Oh, yes. I mean, everyone in our generation did. Of course. Did you have any fucking clue at the end of, like, the all-nighter episode who the hell Nosferatu was? That's such a weird ending. Yeah. Like, just, who's been flicking the lights off? Oh, it's Nosferatu! And shows Count Warlock. <laughs> I feel like we got sidetracked. So, Batman Returns. The film picks up... On a dark night around Christmas time, about 33 years prior to when the film actually takes place, a man played by Paul Rubens, a frequent collaborator of Tim Burton, who also played Pee Wee Herman, uh, staring outside of a window on a winter night, and he hears from the other room a woman screaming, followed by a nurse and a doctor storming out of the room in horror. Cut to Paul Rubens and his wife, whose actress I don't know. There's also staring out the window, and they turn to see a cage in the middle of their living room with baby noises coming from it. Now, what we can assume from this point is they had given birth to a child who was born as a freak, quote-unquote. And then the baby reaches its arm out of the cage, grabs the house cat, pulls it inside, and kills it. (laughs) And, yeah, that's how this movie starts. And then... It gets so much freakier where both parents take the baby in a carriage ride to uh, a park in the middle of the night. They take it to a bridge, take the basket, and throw it into the water in an attempt to drown or kill their child. The basket floats into the sewers and continues along its journey until it's found by a, a group of penguins from a failed circus that are now living in the sewer underneath Gotham. Cut to present day, 33 years later. That's how this movie starts. Yeah, and also, I gotta say something. Mm -hmm. Why did Oswald's parents hate him, like, when he was born? I mean, I know the born evil and eats cats things, but, like, we see, like, as soon as he's born, his mother screams and the doctor runs out of the room terrified. Like, yeah, he has weird messed up hands, but I feel like the doctor wouldn't react like, this is terrifying. Like, that's a real medical condition, dude. You should probably know what that is and not freak out. Exactly. Penguin isn't that horrifying. No. At least not as a baby. Like, he 
becomes like a weird bald egg man with a pointy nose as he grows up. But babies look ugly in general. Yeah. Cut to the present day in which Alfred is walking through the streets of Gotham doing some Christmas shopping while the people around him are reading newspaper articles about this freakish mutant penguin that's living in the sewers of Gotham. Uh, as Alfred walks through the streets, it cuts to the ceremony of lighting the tree in the middle of Gotham. And right out the gate, one thing that I'd like to say, I'm a big fan of the Christmas meets Halloween trope and theme. Tim Burton, being the freaky, bizarre guy and artist that he is, he's really good at doing that. And I think that he brought that Christmas meets Halloween tone to this film very well. And he did it about the same time while he was producing Nightmare Before Christmas, which he was going to direct, but he was unable to because he was directing this film. And it went to that other guy who is also an incredible filmmaker. Henry Selleck. Everyone always forgets Henry Selleck. I know. Damn Tim Burton. He's like the Stan Lee of the film industry. I I feel so bad because he is an incredible filmmaker and everybody forgets his name, myself included. Also, we're going to try and not go too heavy into this, but a lot of the things we said in our review of the 1989 Batman film apply here. We like the gothic design. We don't like Batman killing people. Just they're very similar films. They are very clearly made by the same guy. Yeah, exactly. And can I say something? I don't like this movie's visual direction quite as much as the first one. Just because it's winter and there's snow everywhere, it just feels so dreary and like everything's black and white. I mean, Gotham was very dark and dreary in the first movie, but it was contrasted yeah. by Joker's brightness, you know? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, But for me, I do think that they're taking that aesthetic and trying to do something different with it. I appreciated it. I re- I'm a fan of that. I do wish that more filmmakers would go with the Halloween and Christmas type theme. And I do I do think it's a very interesting aesthetic that is very tricky to pull off. But when it does successfully work out, uh, I think it wields some incredible results. But I appreciated it. You're not a fan of it. That's fine. I, I think it's fine, just not as good as in the first movie. Yeah, cause yeah, yeah, absolutely. More limited. Yeah, whatever. Totally understand. Um, anyway, back to describing the film. We are early on introduced to Christopher Walken's character, Maximum Shrek, who's a businessman who owns a department store and is just an asshole to his secretary, Selena Kyle, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. Max Shrek, despite being a dick, has a good public image. Everyone likes him. He's trying to get the mayor to approve of his new power plant, and we'll get into that later, but he has the dumbest motives of any villain. This, uh, We'll get into it. In the meeting with Shrek and the mayor, uh, Shrek's son walks into the meeting and introduces himself. And I don't know if you noticed, Casey, but Christopher Walken has a very specific, he has a very signature way of speaking. I don't know if it's like an accent or what More is. cowboy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But uh, his son has the exact same accent and the exact same manner of speaking, if you listen closely to it. Yeah, I really appreciated that. It's just a minor detail, but Christopher Walken's son is doing a Christopher Walken impression. Yeah, and it's just something small I noticed. Also, another note about Christopher Walken's character that I read, in the early drafts of this movie, Max Shrek did not exist. Originally, he was supposed to be Harvey Dent, played by Billy D. Williams. Okay. And Billy D. Williams didn't want to come back for various reasons, so they just replaced his role in the film as the bad guy who works with Penguin and creates Catwoman with this new guy, played by Christopher Walken, I will say this film's greatest strength, its four central actors are all just over the top, chewing on the scenery, ridiculous, and I appreciate it. In terms of uh, Selena Kyle, Catwoman, Michelle Pfeiffer does do a great job, and we'll get into it. I do feel when she's pre-Catwoman Selena Kyle, I don't know how much I believe Michelle Pfeiffer's awkwardness. And not to say that someone as beautiful and as attractive as she is can't be awkward. Not at all. It's just, I don't know if she sells it as well as she does, like, the confident, sexually open Catwoman, 
later on. But anyway, Max Shrek is doing this big demonstration. He's giving back to the city, lighting a tree in front of his department store, when a bunch of weird circus people attack him, and he runs away. Uh, Batman shows up to stop the circus people. Batman saves Selina Kyle, and they, like, get budding. They're gonna fall in love with each other thing. Uh, but Max Shrek runs into an alleyway where he is greeted by the Penguin, played by Danny DeVito. Absolutely killing it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing about it though, the reason why he's greeted by Penguin is he steps onto a vent, which then turns into a trap door and he falls into the sewers where he's captured by those circus people and meets the Penguin, which is really cartoony and weird. I've seen this movie once before, and one thing that occurred to me a lot when I was re-watching it for this episode, this is much more cartoony than the last one. It's so over-the-top and larger than life. Like, when the people are attacking the tree lighting ceremony, they light up the bat signal, and there's a series of, like, magnifying glasses on top of Wayne Manor with the bat symbol on it, and they sort of reflect the light from the spotlight throughout the top of Wayne Manor, and then shoot him into the bat cave. And right there, I have some logistical issues with that. Like, how has no one noticed just a bunch of giant bat reflectors and shit on top of Wayne Manor? Like, I understand that it might be a secluded place, Place that not many people go to, but he brings people there all the time. Yeah, like, how does no one notice that? Also, physics standpoint, that's not how mirrors work. No, not at all. <laughs> the light is being shined onto the clouds. You can't point a mirror up at the clouds and get that light. That that that's no. Nope, not at all. <laughs> But yeah, this movie is very cartoony and ridiculous. But at the same time, I think it's also of the Warner Brothers. I'm saying Warner Brothers Batman movies because that's what they're officially called, but all of the Batman movies are made by Warner Brothers. The Burton Schumacher movies, of them, this is probably the darkest oh, yeah. and the most gothic, absolutely. while at the same time being incredibly cartoonish, and it's a weird contrast. Yeah, absolutely. Max Shrek meets with Danny DeVito's Penguin, and he starts blackmailing him into letting him work with Shrek to go up to the streets of Gotham and take over the city. And I'd like to say, Danny DeVito, especially in the 90s, was a fantastic choice for the Penguin. And him and Tim Burton have been frequent collaborators ever since. Uh, I will say, however, that this is not a good portrayal of the Penguin as a character. In the comics, Penguin is a, a crime lord. He's a crime lord. He's a He's a gangster. He's this rich, eccentric guy who, yeah, isn't conventionally attractive. He's very short, overweight, and, you know, all that. But he's one of the select few Batman villains that is not crazy. Like, you don't lock him up in Arkham Asylum. You lock him up in Blackgate Prison because he's not insane. He's not crazy. He's, a, he's just a criminal. In this film, he is batshit out of his mind. He's a child serial killer with a bunch of physical deformities with black goo oozing out of his mouth and he eats raw fish. Like, I suppose it does fit with the tone of this film. It's just in terms of his characterization of the Penguin, it's not at all comic accurate. No, like Penguin's supposed to be like this smart, capable villain, whereas in this film, he's basically just this weird puppet of Maximum Shrek who is motivated by unlimited poontang. However, I will say, despite the fact that this is a terrible portrayal of the Penguin as a character, there are moments throughout the film and inklings of the character of the Penguin that do shine through. Like the Penguin, right when he first meets Max Shrek, he tries everything in the books to blackmail Shrek by pulling out a bunch of destroyed documents, showing the remains of Shrek's previous partner, who he had killed, and later on in the movie, trying to become mayor, tricking the media, and framing Batman for all his crimes. That is the Penguin, and there's moments of that throughout the film. However, as a whole, despite the fact that Danny DeVito does do a great job for what he's given, this is not a good portrayal of Penguin. I will say it is not a comic-accurate portrayal of Penguin. I will say, though, it's a very interesting character, and Danny DeVito does a very good job at playing this 
Tim Burton villain. Oh, yeah. Maybe not the accurate Batman villain, but this is a very Tim Burton-esque character, and Danny DeVito is great at just portraying this weird, weird little evil man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He does do a great job. It's just... It's not comic accurate. No. And then from there, the Penguin eventually convinces Max Shrek to go along with his plans. And then cut to Selena Kyle. She goes to her apartment, her pink, cutesy little apartment with her cat. And she's talking to herself, very self-deprecating. Again, I don't think... I don't know. I just... I do think Michelle Pfeiffer does do a good job at that. I don't know. She does do a fine job portraying this awkward character. I don't know. It's... I feel like she doesn't do quite as well of a job as she does playing an evil Catwoman and then even later on playing a conflicted character who's confused about who she is and what's her her meaning in life, you know? She does do a, a serviceable job playing awkward. It's just, I don't know, she doesn't do as well of a job as the other parts of her character later on. But anyway... Uh, she realizes, oh no, I left my notes at the office. And she runs back to the office to get them. And then she learns about Max Shrek's evil plan to do something. It he She realizes... Pause. <laughs> pause. What the fuck is Max Shrek's plan in this? He's planning to build a secret power plant that is actually stealing energy from the city because, uh... Um, because then he can, uh, I don't know. They never say why. No, they really Maybe don't. sell it back, but that seems like a really overcomplicated plan. Maybe take over the city somehow. I don't know. This is a really weird, dumb plan. Yeah. To build a secret fake power plant. Yeah. And anyway, Selena finds out about it and then tells her boss that he knows about all the evil stuff he's doing. Because she's an idiot. Yeah. And then he just murders her by chucking her out a window. She falls off of the penthouse of a skyscraper, lands flat on her back, and she dies. Like, she is dead. And then, out of nowhere, a bunch of stray cats in a pretty creepy, horrific scene start coming out of nowhere and start licking and biting her all over her body until she's resurrected by the cats because that's a thing now. (laughs) What? Yeah, I don't... I'm fine with films not having scientifically accurate backstories for heroes like oh i got bit by a radioactive spider that's not how radiation works but at least you know superhero movies usually give an explanation they just don't with catwoman it's yeah she comes back as a cat lady after being licked by an army of supernatural stray cats and then it's ne- and then it's never brought up once again yeah like not even like a hand wave it's it's just weird yeah but yeah she comes back to life as a weird cat lady and she goes back to her apartment and has a mental breakdown and i like to say i think michelle pfeiffer's best scene is when she's having the mental breakdown where it's the previous scene of her going to her apartment but she's just completely emotionless and doing things wrong like she spills the milk everywhere yeah and then she just freaks out and destroys everything and makes a suit i think that's a pretty good scene good job michelle pfeiffer yeah absolutely she does do a great job as the character she makes herself a catwoman suit made out of latex and there's a shot from outside of her apartment looking in she has this neon sign that says hello there in the destruction of when she's destroying her apartment she destroys the o and the t and from the outside shot of her apartment she's standing in front of the sign and it says hell here yeah which is really interesting and it's really good production design and really good directing but still it's just it fits well with the scene because it's pretty crazy and really chaotic but on the nose foreshadowing or on the on the nose symbolism rather. Anyway, Max Shrek helps Penguin reintegrate to society by having one of Penguin's minions kidnap the mayor's son and then have Penguin return it. And then everyone in Gotham likes Penguin and they help him go to the Hall of Records and find out who he is and visit his parents' grave. And everyone likes Penguin and they write newspaper articles about him. And then we cut to Bruce Wayne watching all this, and he's like, mm, 
I don't like this. Something about feels fishy. I'm going to do some investigating. Because Batman doesn't trust anyone. Yeah, I know. But... <laughs> no, no, I trust me. I, Wait, I hold on, hold on. Are you implying that it isn't that he doesn't trust the Penguin specifically for some reason? It's that he doesn't trust anyone? That anytime he sees someone on the news, he's like, I bet they're a supervillain. Then he goes down to his cave and does a bunch of research into them? Is that what you're implying, Riley? I'm implying that, and he has so many contingency plans if the Justice League ever goes evil. His friends and allies and co workers who have saved his life over and over again he's planning to destroy them that's a morally shady aspect of batman but yeah batman investigates penguin's backstory and finds out that penguin is actually really evil yeah and that he grew up in a circus and the circus closed after he murdered a bunch of people and fled into the sewer. Not just murdered a bunch of people, he murdered a bunch of kids. Yeah! Batman does some detective work, and he reads up on Cobblepot, and meanwhile, the Penguin is learning of his history and doing it all in front of the cameras and making himself seem like the most sympathetic person ever, and he's tricking the media into joining his side. And then Max Shrek does the dumbest thing in any film ever. Then Max Shrek comes up with the brilliant, brilliant plan. I am astounded by the brilliance of Christopher Walken. <laughs> the mayor won't let me have my power plant, which I want for some reason. I don't know. So I'll just replace the mayor, even though it's December and the election's over. I mean, I can have a recall election, but wouldn't it be easier to bribe the mayor or bribe officials or anything? But whatever, I'll replace the mayor. And who will I replace the mayor with? Should I replace him with me, the really popular guy who the whole city likes? Should I replace him with my son? Should I replace him with someone I've paid off? No, I'll come up with an evil scheme to replace the mayor with the penguin. You know, the weird bird man who the public's only known for like a day at this point, <laughs> who keeps talking about how he wants to have sex with reporters and bit to do his nose off. Yes, I will make him mayor and then he'll let me have my power plant. Yeah. I'm smart. It's such a bizarre plot, even for Tim Burton. Like, what? <laughs> what the fuck, Max Shrek? Yeah, so Max Shrek starts hosting a campaign for Penguin to become mayor, and he meets up with his PR people and his advisors, and he, after being insulted by one of them, he bites his nose off and talks about how he wants to, quote-unquote, fill her void, referring to yeah, a female. And Penguin doesn't, it's not like Penguin blackmailed Max into making his mayor. Penguin only wanted to re-enter society, which he did. Max has to convince Penguin to try and become mayor. Yeah. He has to do it by offering Penguin unlimited poontang, which is a thing that Christopher Walken says in this movie. He says unlimited poontang. <laughs> oh, God. This movie... This movie. So, to get people to dislike the mayor and want to replace him with the penguin, Penguin just has his minions do a bunch of evil shit so that he can say, Oh, the mayor's not tough on crime, so you should replace with me. Batman shows up to beat up all the bad guys. Catwoman also shows up to... I mean, she saves a woman from a robber, then threatens the woman, and then she goes and she tries to burn down one of Max's department stores, and she gets into a fight with Batman, and Batman chucks her to her death. Yeah. Because Batman, he does murder. One thing that I do think was an improvement on the last one. Throughout the movie, I do think the action is a bit of a step up from the last one. In that, there's a lot of wide shots of, like, Batman actually fighting criminals on the rampage. And he actually has something to fight against instead of just a overweight 55-year-old man. And there's actually a lot of creative action. Like, when he saves Selina at the beginning, he, like... Shoots his grappling gun at a wall that rips off bricks. Yeah, he... And there's, like, a scene where he uses a remote control battering. It's a pretty interesting film. Yeah, and at the beginning of the film, he used the Batmobile to light a guy on fire. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's still in crazy murderer mode. But we've already talked in two different episodes about how we aren't fond of Batman killing, so we're not gonna harp on it. No, not at all. But, God, he violent. 
But anyway, Catwoman's mad that Batman beat her up, so she teams up with Penguin to get rid of Batman. Side note, this film has a lot of characters with really dumb motives that change from scene to scene. Yeah. What the hell is Catwoman's deal for half this movie? Like, at the start, Max Shrek killed me. I want to kill Max Shrek, so I'm going to burn down his department store. Oh, hey, Batman's being mean to me. I'm now going to focus on killing Batman. And then at the end, she remembers, oh, right, Max Shrek. I forgot about killing him. Which is something that I don't even... Why doesn't she just shoot him at the start? She goes up to him in her secretary form. Why does she have to go through all... Why can't she just kill him? Yeah, one scene that reminds me of one scene we didn't mention earlier was after Shrek threw her out of the window, Bruce Wayne meets with Shrek about him his working with the Penguin. And Bruce Wayne refers to Penguin as a crime lord, which, again, is a bit of... is comic accurate, but it's a bit of a stretch. He has a group of guys that... He's the leader of a group of criminals, but it's not organized crime as so much as a bunch of clowns that go around murdering people. Right. Actually, that's a weird thing about the Burton Batman movies. Uh-huh. Joker's the mobster. Penguin's the one who controls a circus. That's in. That's weird. Yeah, exactly. And in it's in that scene that Selina Kyle shows up again with a bandage on her head, and Shrek is like, "What the hell? I threw you out of a skyscraper!" And that's when Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle first meet, and they start, you know, their romance and whatever. And at the end of that scene, Shrek tells his son, he goes. Eh, don't worry about that girl I threw out of a window and somehow she's alive and she's probably gunning for me and she has all this information on me that's gonna ruin me in the public eye and probably legally too. Yeah, don't worry about her. She's not our concern now. This film is held together with scotch tape. Yeah, to get to what you were saying earlier, what I think Catwoman's deal was, her character is that she's confused She doesn't know what she wants. She doesn't know who she is, and she struggles with that. And she's just kind of doing with whatever feels right in the moment, you know, until the end when she realizes, like, this is her thing, you know? And I do think there's some merit to that, like, at the party where she and Batman learn who each other are, it does show that she's, like, losing her mind and not really sure who she is. But I wish the film maybe highlighted that a bit more. After Penguin publicly announces that he's going to be running for mayor. He fondles a presumably teenage girl and giving her a button. Mm. Yeah. And he goes upstairs talking about how he wants to grope the city. Mm. And then he meets Catwoman, who's sitting on his bed. And the two have a very, very explicit conversation about how they're going to team up. Hey, there's that pussy that I wanted. Yeah. Actual penguin quote. God, Danny DeVito's penguin is so uncomfortably horny. Yeah. Everyone in this movie is, but especially the penguin. Ugh. I need a shower. He's talking about scented lotion at one point. Ugh. It's fucking, it's nasty. And I get what, and if that's what they were going for, which I know they are, they were, they succeeded. He is very uncomfortable. Catwoman and Penguin team up, and they start plotting a smear campaign against Batman to try and trick the city into voting him as mayor. So I believe it's either that scene or a scene close to it. Penguin's talking to Shrek, and he starts talking about how he wants to take down Batman. When he's talking to Shrek, he announces, or he tells him that he somehow has the schematics of the Batmobile. Yeah. And his team of circus clowns are going to dismantle it for a reason that isn't revealed quite yet. But here's my question. How the hell did Penguin, a guy living in the sewers, get his hands on Batmobile schematics? And even if he could get his hands on the schematics, why are his random circus freak... The film says circus freak. I know it's a loaded term. Uh, Why are his random circus performer cohorts good enough at mechanics to take control of the Batmobile? No, not just mechanics, computers, because they hack it and make a remote-controlled toy Batmobile that Penguin can drive that controls the real Batmobile. I... This is a weird film. And how did they have enough time to build, like, an arcade toy Batmobile for Penguin to sit in when he takes over the Batmobile later on? (laughs) Yeah, that's cheesy. No, no, no. The, like, arcade toy Batmobile shows up for one, like, half a second shot. Like, they didn't even need it. They just had it. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, 
Penguin tries to frame Batman. First, he murders a girl and leaves a batarang that he stole in her room. Then, he has Catwoman kidnap a woman and then get her to a ledge. And then, Batman, when Batman goes to save her, Penguin shoves her off by unleashing a lot of bats. And Batman, like, looks over the edge after the girl dies and everyone's like oh batman pushed her and right. for the third piece of his framing batman plan he hacks the batmobile and uses it to run a bunch of people over right exactly also he murders catwoman for some reason because what happened was penguin was able to get a batarang during one of the first fights batman's in he throws yeah, a actually, batarang and the dog picks it up yeah i do like that like it's a funny scene where batman takes out like three guys with a single battering then a dog belonging to one of penguin's minions just jumps in the air and catches it and haha funny scene nope penguin gets that battering and leaves it at the scene of the crime that's clever i like callbacks like that penguin sneaks into the model slash actress's tent before she lights the tree hits her in the head with it and honestly i thought he like straight up killed her he didn't kill her he just knocked her out and he left the batarang there and then at that point bruce wayne has invited selena kyle over to wayne manor where they start making out yeah they just jump right they they do not hesitate to get to the unlimited poontang that's gonna become a thing now Oh yeah, absolutely. But as they're making out and feeling up on each other, it's a fun, kind of funny how they both have injuries from their previous fight. Like Catwoman stabbed Batman in the abdomen. Batman th- threw acid at Catwoman. And they're both like trying to cover up their wounds from their fight so that they won't know what happened. But the news comes on announcing that the young lady who's going to be lighting the tree, she has been kidnapped and a batarang covered in blood has been found in her dressing room. Now, Commissioner Gordon is a friend of Batman, right? Yeah. Like, he kind of works. In theory, not really in the Burton films, but in theory. But he works with him and he trusts him, right? Yeah. Well, if he really did trust him, and he clearly states, he goes on the news and states what's happened and how he does not believe that Batman is the one responsible for everything that's happened. But why does he... Why does he show the news cameras an evidence bag with a Batarang covered in blood like why does he do that if he does trust batman he's like oh no here's the evidence that completely implicates batman but no it's not him like what (laughs) after that bruce and selena both make up excuses to alfred it's actually a pretty funny scene they both make up excuses about how they're not ready for this and whatever and they have to leave and alfred has this funny moment where he's like yeah sure i'll tell them that Uh, They both go to the tree lighting ceremony. Batman tracks down the young lady who was kidnapped, and she's being guarded by Catwoman. The two have a bit of a fight scene, but one of my favorite lines in the movie that really just kind of took me off guard with how stupid it is. In their fight, Batman grabs Catwoman and says, Eat floor! Throws her to the ground and says, High fiber! God, that's such a dumb line. And, uh, like, shortly after, we get, like, the most famous line from this film. I don't know if it's famous because people like it genuinely or just because it's dumb. I think it's dumb. Mistletoe can be poisonous if you eat it. Which, by the way, I'm pretty sure that's a myth. I'll have to look that up. I'm sure it's not healthy for you, but... No, I don't think it's actually as poisonous as people think, though. And then Catwoman responds... Yeah, but kiss can be even more dangerous if you mean it. It's so dumb. But in their fight, Catwoman knocks him to the ground and starts not only feeling up on him, but licking him. Uh, yeah. Which, again, I do feel like it fits with her, like, broken psyche having died and brought back to life and, you know, trying to take charge of her life. But I do feel like, A, she's very overtly sexual. Not slut- no, I'm not slut-shaming whatsoever. No. But she's, like, very, very open. Like, she's feeling up on Batman and, like, licking him and, like, you know. But- and I suppose that is pretty true to Catwoman's character. Like, there's a lot of sexual tension with her and- Batman, but not this overt. Like, not this in-your-face, like, ah, I'm a pussy cat, you know? Can I say, 
a hot take about Catwoman. Yeah. In this film, they really heavily try and push Catwoman as, as being a sort of like dominatrix sexy lady. Right. I think that Catwoman is more attractive before she gets chucked out the window. I like dorky Selena Kyle more than weirdo cat lady crazy licks herself Selena Kyle. They go really overboard on making her this overtly sexual person. I mean, she wears a latex suit for god's sake yeah and they show her like when she first makes just one of the gloves of it it takes her like 10 seconds to squirm her hand into it i feel like she should have stopped at that point and been like i'm not very good at sewing this will be way too tight i'm gonna get a new costume she has a whip too which also fits with the dominatrix theme this is such a horny film that suit michelle pfeiffer hated wearing it because she had to be vacuum sealed into it. Which raises the question, how is Catwoman getting in and out of this? I know. I suppose, I think we're just supposed to accept it. I'm not the biggest fan of Catwoman in this movie, but I will say, to the film's credit, she does have better chemistry with Michael Keaton than Vicky Vale did. Yeah, I agree. Penguin releases a bunch of bats from his umbrella, which forces the girl to slip and fall off of the roof, which she could have, Batman said, don't move. She could have just stepped onto the other part of the roof, you know? But yeah, she falls, and Penguin and Catwoman meet up again, and Penguin proposes to her, like, legitimately has a ring, and offers her his hand in marriage, which she denies and throws the ring off the building. So he gives her his helicopter umbrella, which we saw earlier in the film, and she flies into the air and falls on top of a glass greenhouse. And she has nine lives, so she survives, and it's at that point that her teaming up with Penguin is ended. You know what, I gotta say, if they're gonna do a thing of Catwoman, she's immortal-ish. Well, not immortal, but she can't die because she's got nine nine lives they could have been more creative with their deaths three of them are from falling uh later on four of them are from being shot like yeah switch it up a yeah. bit, you know and while all of this is going on penguin's crew is hacking into the batmobile and souping it up so that penguin can have remote access to it when Batman is running from people gets into the batmobile penguin takes over and runs over a lot of people with it while in his, as we mentioned earlier, while in this little arcade Batmobile. And it's, again, so over the top. And it is a really interesting idea, like, going so far to blame Batman that you're taking over the Batmobile. And then, while being chased by the police after Batman gains control of it by knocking out Penguin's machines that are controlling it, he's being chased by the police, and then he drives into an alleyway in which... The buildings are too narrow to drive through. So what does Batman do? He pushes a few buttons and the sides of the Batmobile just fall off. And the Batmobile is like half the size now. Yeah, which... that the Batmobile just has so many ridiculous out of nowhere things in these movies. Like earlier in the film, he needs to turn around. So he presses a button and then just a giant cylinder comes out beneath the Batmobile, lifts it up, turns it around and he drives off. In the first one, there was the scene where he needs to do a tight turn. So the Batmobile shoots his grappling cook out. And it's not just Tim Burton Batman movies. The Batmobile turning into a motorcycle thing they do in The Dark Knight. Batman escapes the police and he is trying to figure out what to do. So the next day, Penguin has a press conference where he's right in front of City Hall speaking to a bunch of the reporters, talking about how he's going to clean up the city, make Batman pay for his crimes. And while he's giving the speech, Bruce Wayne and Alfred are in the Batcave, and Bruce Wayne has recorded Penguin talking to him, talking about his true intentions, about how he has the city wrapped around his claw, and how he calls them idiots, and how he's tricking them, and he uses a CD player, which you probably noticed, the CD player has a bat symbol on it. Because... <laughs> Of course it does. 
they hack into the frequency of the press conference, and over the speakers, they play the CD remotely of what Batman was able to record from him, and all the reporters turn on him, and they just have a bunch of lettuce and tomatoes and eggs and shit, and they start throwing at him. And Penguin even mentions, he goes, why is there someone that always brings eggs and tomatoes to a speech? Wait, 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 Riley. You're forgetting the best part. As Batman is playing back Penguin's evil scheme, he scratches the disc like a DJ with a record. And that's not how CDs work, but it is stupid. And I do like stupid things in this movie. Yeah, so the crowd riots on Penguin. Max Shrek leaves him. And Penguin pulls out his umbrella to shield himself from the eggs and tomatoes and lettuce that are being thrown at him. Then he pulls the trigger, revealing that it's a machine gun, which he uses to distract the people so that he can make his escape. And he runs to the same bridge that his parents threw him off. And he jumps into the river uh, while the police follow, and he swims back to the sewers, having had his plans thwarted by Batman once again. You know what's weird about this film? It takes Mm. place over, like, three days total. Or four or five, but the point is, less than a week. At the start, it's, like, December. At the end, it's, I believe, Christmas. Christmas Eve. So, it's a very short time span. Yeah. So, imagine just... I was out of town for a few days. I came back. What happened? Oh, so a a weird bird man came out of the sewers, saved a baby, ran for mayor, then murdered a bunch of people. And that happened in less than a day. Fucking Gotham, man. Oh, yeah. Once he reaches the sewer on his giant duck boat, he reveals to his goons that the new plan is they're going to steal all the firstborn sons from Gotham City, take them back to the sewers, where they're going to drown them in an act of seeking vengeance. Which is a very brutal plan. Oh yeah, even one of his goons who's been with him presumably for years, he even says, he goes, uh, that's, that's, that's a little extreme, don't you think? And Penguin kills him. Yeah. Anyway, Max Shrek holds a big Christmas masquerade ball, you know, as you do when you're a rich dude played by Christopher Walken. Mm -hmm. Bruce and Selena go. They find out each other's secret identities, which, I mean, they don't hide them at all in this film. They're always, like, every line of dialogue, it's like, Hi, I'm Bruce. I am a man who likes bats and the color black. And, oops, I gotta go. Do not be Batman somewhere. But anyway, they find out who each other are by repeating the mistletoe thing. Then, Selina reveals that she's planning to murder Max Shrek because she finally remembered her motivation. And Bruce is like, No! You can't murder for revenge! I mean, I know the last film ended with me murdering a guy for revenge, but you shouldn't. (laughs) Yeah. Frickin' hypocrite. Penguin announces to Gotham that he's stealing all their babies before he's even stolen all their babies. After he breaks into the party by blowing up the floor. Yeah, and he announces the evil plan that he's going to do to steal all the babies, and it fails because he announced it. Also, he has like six goons. Do you realize how many people live in Gotham? That's so many babies to steal. That's probably the only flaw in this movie. That's probably the only plot hole. But No, I'm kidding. No, all the plans in this movie are so dumb. Speaking of dumb plans, after Batman very easily stops penguins minions from loading the babies onto their baby stealing train that they have for some reason penguin reveals his new plan that he just had prepared he uses his army of well-trained penguins which he has rockets attached to and also their cyborgs that he can control with a remote control he sends them up to blow up gotham and batman hacks their penguin brains and sends them back Yeah. What the fuck was this film? This is the point in the movie where it really, I don't want to say fell apart for me, but it just got so over the top and so cartoony. Like, he has all the penguins arranged into, like, a stadium, which is just in the sewer, inexplicably. And he has Max Shrek kidnapped because at the party he was going to take Shrek's son, but Shrek convinced him to take him instead. And he has him in a giant bird cage dangling over a vat of Max Shrek's company's, like, 
ooze, nondescript yeah, chemical ooze. Yeah, that his company has been putting into the water supply. <laughs> and so, yeah, he sends all the penguins with rockets on them into the city to blow up the city. Now, an interesting thing that occurred to me when watching this movie is this. Penguin was legitimately going to destroy Gotham. Like, I think at one point they said, like, the casualties are going to be in, like, the tens or hundreds of thousands. Like, he was legitimately going to nuke Gotham City. With a bunch of firecrackers, mind you. And the person who says casualties will be in hundreds of thousands is just some random penguin minion. So, great assault. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But still, he thought he was going to kill all of Gotham. He's fucking deranged. Alfred is able to hack into the frequency that's controlling these penguins sends them back to the zoo where batman meets up with penguin and they have a bit of a fight and they launch those rockets and all the penguins blow up the abandoned zoo around them is being exploded and meanwhile penguin and batman are continuing to fight and they end up falling into the sewers below and there max shrek was able to convince one of the circus monkeys to give him the keys catwoman's there because she's there, and all the heroes and villains of this story are in one place at one time. Well, heroes and villains, it's more like villains and whatever alignment Batman is. Penguin is out of the fight, he falls into the water, and Catwoman confronts Shrek about who she is and what's going on and what her plans are to kill him. Batman shows up and is like, No, Selina, don't do a murder, even though, again, I kill so many people. One thing that's interesting I noticed is, you know, obviously, Batman's mask doesn't cover his eyes, so they use black makeup to fill in the the gaps, right? To prevent the skin tone from being... Yeah, and when Batman rips off his mask in front of Max Shrek and Catwoman to convince Catwoman not to do a murder for some reason, he no wearing mascara. Yeah, he rips off his mask, which is very easy to take off, and he doesn't just take it off, he rips it off. Yeah, it, I mean, it's made of rubber, or, I mean, it isn't supposed to be, but the mask costume is made of rubber, and he just tears it off. Yeah, and before he tears it off, it cuts to him, and he's got the black eye makeup, cuts to Catwoman, and then cuts back to him, and if you look closely, he doesn't have that makeup on when he rips off the mask, because that would look weird. (laughs) Yeah. That is something that, it's interesting of, like, Batman's costume that, at least from what we've seen in the trailer of The Batman, new one coming out probably the next year, or who knows? Yeah, it's it's delayed indefinitely because this fucking year. Right, but in the trailer we saw that Batman, as he takes off his mask has that eye makeup on and that was something that christopher nolan in the dark knight was considering doing but never but it didn't pan out i mean do we ever in the dark knight trilogy see batman take off his mask no no so we don't but anyway at the climax batman reveals himself to max shrek and max shrek says oh god so dumb bruce why are you dressed as batman he is batman you moron And then Max Shrek shoots Batman, he shoots Catwoman a bunch of times, gets her down to two lives, she electrocutes herself and Max to death, and they're both dead, wink wink. Penguin crawls out and he's like, I'm still alive, no I'm not, then he falls over and dies. And that's the movie! Batman goes home to celebrate Christmas with Alfred. It's revealed the Catwoman's still alive. Happy Christmas, everyone. That was a fucking weird movie. The last scene of the movie is Alfred driving Bruce throughout the city alone. It's all dark. It's a pretty somber moment, if you think about it. Like, just kind of emphasizes Batman's loneliness. Yeah, this is a very dark ending. Right. Batman thinks he sees Selina Kyle walking through an alley, tells Alfred to pull over, gets out and finds just a stray cat which he takes home with him and the last line is batman and alfred wishing each other a merry christmas and as they drive off the camera pans up the bat signal ignites in the sky and catwoman's head peers up the back of her head lifts up into the frame and cut to black a bit of fun fact about that shot that last shot of catwoman Did you know it cost $250,000 just for that one shot? I've heard weird things about it where they were for some reason going to do a robot 
animatronic wearing the Catwoman costume instead of Michelle Pfeiffer, and it went all wrong, and it was weird. What's the story? So it was a last-minute addition to the story, and they really wanted to do it because they were planning on making a Catwoman spinoffs. I mean, they did. Yeah, directed by Tim Burton. They didn't. Starring Michelle Pfeiffer, directly tying into the story of Definitely this Definitely didn't do that. Because what happened was, the studio decided to go in a different direction with the Batman franchise, and Tim Burton left, and thus he left the Catwoman project, and then eventually Michelle Pfeiffer left, and that movie was in such development hell for a while, until we got the Halle Berry mid-2000s Catwoman movie that has nothing to do with Catwoman or Batman or any of that. Can't wait to watch that on this show. But what happened was, since it was such a late addition to the film, Michelle Pfeiffer could not return because she was busy working on another movie. So she couldn't return. And yeah, they had gone through so many different plans and so many different ways to achieve it. What they ended up doing is a stop motion animated Catwoman peeking her head up. So that's stop motion animated. Wow. I mean, to be fair, that is the easiest way to get a shot from behind of a person wearing a mask that covers her head. I mean, what else could they have done? Got a lookalike to wear the Catwoman costume because you can't see her face? Don't be ridiculous. Gotten someone who looks nothing like Michelle Pfeiffer to put on a mask? Like, hey, you, assistant, once you put on this costume, we'll give you a raise. And just do this for also, a single speaking shot. Of the costume, yeah. something they are pretty accurate in this film about is Catwoman's suit just keeps getting torn up and torn up and it stays consistent through the film. But in that last minute edition final scene, her mask is fixed again, somehow. That one shot cost a quarter of a million dollars. Like we've said throughout this review, this is so ridiculous and so cartoony and over the top. And in terms of sort of audience perception of this movie there's a lot of people who fucking hate this movie i've met a lot of people who say it's one of the worst superhero movies they know of which is a bit of a stretch especially these days even by that time standards that's that's a big to say but i know a lot of people who don't like this movie i feel like this is the movie that batman fans were afraid they were getting with the previous one because when tim burton was hired as director there were a lot of people who were really upset because he was just coming off of beetlejuice this quirky, weird, bizarre horror comedy intended for families. And a lot of people were like, no, Tim Burton, he has this very unique, bizarre, quirky style to him, and it doesn't totally work with Batman. And there were a lot of people that were afraid that that was going to be the case with that one, but not so. He really restrained himself, and the studio did have a lot of control of Batman 89. So it was able to be a relatively grounded crime drama. And I mean, you and I have stated with the last review, it doesn't totally work as a Batman story, but they were able to make a pretty grounded film. It was at this point in the development of Batman Returns that the studio went to Burton and were like, okay, listen, you did a great Batman movie. We're going to lighten up the reins and you can make whatever Batman movie you want because we trust you. And in doing so, Tim Burton made not a Batman movie, but a Tim Burton movie. That's what people were afraid the first one was going to be. And here it is in broad daylight. Like I said, with the last Batman movie that we reviewed, what doesn't totally work about it, for me, I think the biggest downfall of it was the fact that it doesn't totally work as a Batman story. This one, even more so. I mean, upon me thinking about it, I do think that all the great stuff about the last movie, like directing from a technical perspective, the acting, all of that is really solid. Like, what really worked, say for a few examples throughout what really worked about the last one is still working really well here. However, the flaws of the last one are much bigger and much more noticeable here as well. I do agree what you say about this not really being a Batman movie. You'll notice in this review, we barely talked about Batman. And honestly, like in the first Tim Burton movie, Batman feels like a secondary character in this film. He doesn't have as much screen time or as much of an arc as Penguin and Catwoman or even Max Shrek. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was another thing that occurred to me. There really isn't much Batman, just like the last one, for the first hour of this movie about there's really not much Batman. Just like the last one, it focuses very heavily on the story of the villains. The last one focused a lot on Joker, and this one focuses a lot on Catwoman and Penguin. 
and Batman just really does take a backseat. And he's an alright side character, but it is weird to have a Batman movie that's not about Batman. Especially weird to have two of them from the same director. So, I think that one of the reasons why a lot of people don't like this movie is because, despite the fact that as a Batman movie, it's not totally the strongest. It doesn't totally work as a Batman movie, as I've stated. Yet, despite that, it was still very, very influential on Batman as a character and Batman stories going forward. This movie doesn't have that influence. It's just this weird, bizarre live-action cartoon that's just crazy and weird, and it just doesn't have the same impact on Batman as a character in comparison to the last one. And I think that's another thing that, at least having it been out for, what, like almost 30 years, I think that not many people talk about it because it just doesn't have the same impact. Can I say something weird about this film? I mean, it's a weird movie, but can I make this whole episode even weirder? Go ahead. I feel like there's heavy religious symbolism in this movie. <laughs> and that was the silence I was expecting. I don't really have a fully formed, like, creepypasta theory, everyone is actually Jesus in purgatory, but I feel like maybe someone in the writing process was trying to do some religious symbolism that got partially cut, but there's still remnants there. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, Penguin is put in a basket in a river as a baby, like Moses, killing all the firstborn babies of the city. That is something that happens in the book of Exodus. You'll notice the Penguin was born on Christmas 33 years ago. That's Jesus Christ traits. <laughs> and Catwoman comes back to life. This movie is about Jesus, I think. Wow, I, you know, I, I never don't really know. thought of it that way. I don't know what my point is. Just that I feel like there was some religious symbolism that got cut out half. I don't know. Okay, yeah, I, I never thought of it that way. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I don't know. That's just a thought that occurred to me, and I wish I had this grand point about how the themes of this movie are about the New Testament, but no, it's just, those are some weird coincidences of plot points also being the plot points of something else. Yeah, um, in terms of its relation to the entire Batman story... So we're just gonna brush right past that, aren't we? In terms of its relation to this series, I do think that, though I did, for the most part, enjoy this movie, I do agree this is the beginning of the downfall of this particular series. Wow, the beginning of the downfall, starting with the second movie, and also yeah. the third movie being worse, and also the fourth movie killing the series. Ooh, this series was... I don't think you can have a downfall if you're never high up. And again, this is not Tim Burton's fault. This is more so the studio's fault. This movie was very heavily advertised towards families and kids. There were notoriously McDonald's toys being with this film. So a lot of kids were eating Happy Meals, playing with their penguin toys. And then they go to the movie and he's talking about, oh, that's just a pussy I'm looking for. And biting Unlimited a guy's nose poo -tang. off. Bite the yeah, nose off. This is a really bizarre, twisted, and the darkest of this series, absolutely. But it's more so how the studio pitched it as a family movie. And for that reason, it notoriously was not as big of a success at the box office as the studio was hoping. Because parents were outraged. How dare you advertise this to my kids? And I'm not taking my kids to see that. There was a lot of controversy surrounding that. But it was at that point that the studio decided to take it in a more lighthearted and campy direction. Tim Burton left. And because Tim Burton left, Michael Keaton left. And they got Joel Schumacher to direct Val Kilmer and Batman Forever. Honestly, I think Batman Forever is a worse movie than Batman and Robin. It's a thing we're going to need to talk about sometime. Yeah, we're going to review Batman Forever and Batman Returns in the near future. So for me, this film, I do think, like I said, is the beginning of the downfall of this series. It takes what started off as a relatively grounded universe and makes it this bizarre, weird horror movie with comedy all throughout it and they marketed it towards families and kids. And again, that's not Tim Burton's fault, but 
this movie is a lot more explicit and adult-oriented than the previous one. I mean, there's very twisted violence and very graphic sexual innuendos all throughout it. And it's very bizarre, very cartoony and over-the-top. And the actors do do a good job with that, but it doesn't always pay off. And especially not in the third act when Penguin straps a bunch of bombs to penguins and... Oh yeah, we forgot to mention that after falling into the water, Penguin gets out of the water, walks towards Batman, and then just dies. And these Emperor Penguins walk out of the shadows and carry Penguin's dead body to the water where he came from. And it's, again, it just, it doesn't, like I said earlier, it just gets too over the top and too unbelievable to an absurd degree. A lot of the stuff that was great about The Last does return. Tim Burton is a very competent director, as he's shown with The Last One, as he shows here. The acting is really good. I do think the set design, the production design, the prosthetics making Danny DeVito look like a penguin, or look like that monster he is, which... That was another thing I drew a comparison to the last one. The Joker in the first Batman movie, he looks monstrous. Like, he looks freaky and otherworldly, which is good. And in this one also, Penguin, he looks monstrous. Like, he is a straight-up monster in this movie. Again, the makeup, acting, set design, direction, it was all really solid like it was in the last one. It's just... The writing is really bizarre, really out there. Again, not much Batman. Danny Elfman's score is still really great. A bit of a fun story from during production of this movie. Uh, during an interview, Danny DeVito was talking about a fairly traumatic experience he had on set of making this movie. So, as we mentioned earlier, there's a little, like, capuchin circus monkey in the movie, right? One belongs to one of the Penguin's goons. And the first time Danny DeVito met that monkey on set, he was in the sewers, he had that fat suit on, all the prosthetics, his mouth was gushing black goo, and the monkey freaked out and attacked him. And it went right for his genitals, open mouth. (laughs) This monkey on the set of this movie attacked Danny DeVito's genitals, and... The one thing that saved him was the fat suit padding over his genitals. That's the one thing that saved him. So at the end of the day, it's a good thing that he was wearing all that. You know what I just realized? We went through a whole hour and a half. I mean, we'll cut it down, but hour and a half recording where we talked about Danny DeVito and not once did we make an Always Sunny reference. No, no, it's crazy. I will say, I mean, like Danny DeVito was an incredible choice for the Penguin. He's a very competent comedic actor as well as an incredibly good dramatic actor. And had they gone a more grounded, serious, and maybe a more comic accurate adaptation of the character of the Penguin, I think he would have done a phenomenal job. He does do a really good job here, it's just if it were more grounded and serious, he also would have killed it. Also, you know who they were originally going to cast as Penguin? They considered Dustin Hoffman, but he declined. They went through like 30 actors before they settled on Penguin, and some of them are just wild. Marlon Brando, John Candy, Bob Hoskins... John Goodman, Christopher Lee, Joe Pesci, Ray Liotta, Christopher Lloyd, Dean Martin, Alan Rickman. There are so many alternate universes where this film was weird. Also, their first choice for Max Shrek was David Bowie. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Since Danny DeVito just made this role his own, as he did, it's hard to picture anyone else playing it. But had they gone a more serious route, more grounded route, I can see the rest of them. But for this particular performance, I don't know, I just think Danny DeVito was the best fit for it. Riley, on a score of 1 to 10, uh, how do you rate this movie? This movie is bizarre, freaky, and dark as fucking hell. (laughs) It's so over the top and so cartoony. It's the beginning of the downfall of this series. There is a lot going for it, and there is enjoyment to be had, but it's not nearly as memorable as the last one in ways other than, holy shit, what the fuck's going on? This is weird. I think I'm going to give it... 
a six and a half out of ten. Wow. I do think it's a good movie. I just think the flaws in it are a lot more noticeable and... It's too bizarre and cartoony, especially during the climax. I think that this movie is very similar to the first one. A lot of what worked in the first one works in this. A lot of what failed in the first one fails in this. On one hand, there's great directing, great acting, great visual design. On the other hand, it's just way too weird in places, and it's not a great Batman story. I do think this one's a bit worse than the first one, but not a lot worse. Not enough. It's not 5% worse than the first one, I guess. So I think I'd probably give this woman about the same score, 8.5. Yeah, like there is enjoyment to be had. Just watch it for the sheer enjoyment of how bizarre and quirky it is. Don't look at it as a Batman movie. Look at it more so as a Tim Burton movie. I think it does work a lot better. Like we said, there's just a lot of flaws to it that compromise the movie and compromise the series as a whole. And then there's Batman Forever and Batman Returns that just fucking ruined it. You know, this film, it was so weird and horny, and it has so much death in it. And those themes of death and erections will continue in our next review. Uh, Next week, we're going to be doing the classic... Uh, Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman action movie, Die Hard. The best Christmas movie Do ever. Do not! Save it for next week, Casey! Save it for <laughs> next week. Where can they find you, Riley? You can all find me on YouTube at Riley Thorpe. You can check out my short films. My latest short film, Pizza Face, is a horror slasher comedy where I wrote, directed, acted, edited, and you can check out the rest of my other short films there. You can find me all on Instagram and TikTok at Riley James Thorpe. You can find me on Facebook at Riley Thorpe and on Twitter at Riley Thorpe 7 for, you know, I don't know. I don't go on Twitter much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jarms Casey, J A R M E S C A S E Y. It's that Twitter account that I post nothing but this show on, which is why it's the best Twitter account because I don't get into bullshit fights. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a plus. Also, check out the first Mag Train out of Cleveland and other short stories available now on Amazon. It's a collection of sci fi short stories I wrote. The ebook's only a few bucks. Go buy it. We'll be back next week, assuming we don't get murdered nine different times by a dude who wants to build a power plant for some reason. I, I don't get this movie. I don't think anyone does. I don't even think the filmmakers understood. They just go, just just go with it. Come on. Uh, as always, I'm Casey Jarms. And I'm Riley Thorpe. And hey, it's just a movie. Don't lose your head about it. Especially not to a ladder. Ladder.